there are some things I don't know about my past. And I don't know about you. Are there things that you don't know about your own past? I, for example, don't know who amongst my parents gave me the name Anthony. I, I never got the opportunity to ask that. So now I don't know. And many other things that I may not have found out. Now, this is Now Tell Us. I'm your host, Anthony Moirode. At Now Tell Us, we have guests come and tell us stories. They come and inspire us. They come and educate us on a subject. And always we are having a great time. And that means also that we are going to have a great time today. Because we have a guest known as Max Friedman. And he's going to be here shortly to tell us something about his past. But we're going to find out together with you. So why don't you join me as we go together to meet Max? But before we go, please remember to share this episode with all your friends. If you have a question, ask it. We, may, we will try to answer it as uh, best as we can during the show. If you just want to say hi or make a comment, we appreciate feedback and uh, we thank you in advance. And now, without taking one more minute, because we've got to hear stories, wonderful stories of the past. Let's go together to meet Max. Here we go. Hi, Max. Hi, how are you? I'm fine. How are you? I'm doing well. Wonderful. Welcome to Now Tell Us. Thank you. We are honored to have you here. Happy to be here. Yes. Where are we seeing you from? Uh, I live north of New York City in the United States. Wow, that's wonderful. And how is the weather today, if I may ask? It's beautiful. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. You've been there all your life or you moved there at some point? No, we we moved to the United States from Sweden, where I was born, when my sister was born, uh, in 1952. I, I just Whoa. turned 73 uh, a few months ago. And, wow. Whoa. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, I, and, and I feel older. <laughs> uh, and you don't look, you don't look yeah. 73. Well, look my hair lo looks at... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you you're looking good. And it's good I I, I always love uh, talking to people who've been there and experienced life before me because they can give me a few ideas. They can tell me of how to reach uh, 73 and right. over. <laughs> right. So, yeah. so I, I feel blessed to have you here today on this uh, platform. Good. Glad to be here and share any wisdom I've managed to accumulate during this time. Yeah. And after it our episode, what don't you know about your own past? And I know there is a past that you uh, got not to know when you are growing up. And we will be delighted to learn more. And even before we go there, I would like to highlight the fact to someone who is listening or watching 
Max is an author, but he's going to tell us uh, more about uh, what he's done, where he's coming from. Are you uh, an author all your life or what were you doing before you came there? And uh, the book that we are going to be focusing on or touching on is known as Painful Joy, a Holocaust Family Memoir by Max J. Friedman. And uh, yeah, he's going to tell us more about it. Uh, so before we go there, tell us about what is it that you've been doing in life and until you came to this point? Well, uh, hard to know where to begin. Uh, <laughs> uh, basically, uh, the, the book, Painful Joy, talks about a lot of this. Uh, I, I was born in Sweden, and, mm -hmm. as I said, yeah. uh, uh, the son of Holocaust survivors. Okay. So, so my parents had met after they were liberated from the concentration camps uh, where they had spent most of the years during World War II. Mm -hmm. And uh, they had lost everybody in their, in their families, their first families. And I, my sister and I became their second family. Okay. And, uh, and we had a, a, a difficult life. And uh, we lived in, in Brooklyn after we left Sweden when I was still very, very young. And I don't know if, if your listeners know a place called Coney Island. Uh, Coney Island is an area that's an amusement park mm -hmm. in, in Brooklyn in the southern part of New York City. Okay. And, and we lived across the street from beautiful rides, roller coasters and all kinds of wonderful things, and we were never allowed to go on any rides. Mm. Uh, my parents had many, many fears that came from their their time uh, growing up, and then uh, being uh, losing all their all their relatives during the war. Mm -hmm. And so we became treasures that they had to keep safe. And uh, some of that was a good thing and some of that was not a good thing because mm -hmm. they transmitted a lot of their fears to us. But one of the things we couldn't do was go on any rides, any amusement park rides. So we're living across the street from wonderful places and we couldn't go on anything. Mm -hmm. uh, but, uh, but we ended up growing up somehow. And the book talks about their lives because we knew very little about their lives. So we knew very little about what happened to them. All we knew was that our lives were not normal and mm. they were not normal. Mm -hmm. they, uh, they had nightmares and terrors, what are now called PTSD. Uh, and they suffered from that their entire lives. And uh, we had to take care of them in a sense, we became their child parents because they had a very hard time taking care of us. Mm -hmm. From the time we were little, okay. uh, we, we heard these uh, stories from my mother and virtually nothing from my father. And so there were secrets mm -hmm. uh, around our lives. And it took me uh, most of my life to decide that I wanted to find out more. Mm -hmm. uh, as what are called second-generation Holocaust survivors, uh, the children of Holocaust survivors, have to survive their parents' survival. Mm. So uh, the book, Painful Joy, talks about that. And I only 
started writing that book uh, about seven years ago, and it took me five years to write it and to find out who my parents were, what happened to them, and who I became as a result of that. Wow. Now, what what really triggered you to want to find out more about that, about their past and how they came to be how they were? Yeah, well, it actually was a question that my grandson uh, asked me. Mm. Uh, he was about eight years old, and he had, I don't know, he was a little kid, and he was just sort of having some issues around growing up, as, mm -hmm. as we all do. Mm -hmm. And so I had started to tell him a little bit about surviving, okay. and that my parents were called survivors. Mm -hmm. That's how I knew them, and mm -hmm. that's how... They knew each other. And uh, so uh, he came to me one day, and I guess he had learned a little bit about DNA or something. And he asked me, he said, so if uh, your parents were survivors, did you become a survivor? And if you became a survivor, could my dad be a survivor? My son, his father. Uh, and then that means that maybe I can be a survivor one day. And I can overcome. He didn't say overcome, but basically he was saying he wanted to overcome problems and become uh, somebody that isn't worried. Uh, and I said, I really don't know. I'm going to try to find out. And that started me on a journey that took five years and that I've been talking about ever since. And, and he and my wife and my two boys and my sister all got to see a first draft of the book. Okay. And and so he was already uh, five years older and a little wiser and a little more mature. And I asked him what he thought of the book. And he said it was a tough book, but he's tough now and and it'll be OK. And uh, he allowed me to publish the book. Mm, OK, that's cool. When you talk about being a survivor yourself, also being a survivor, coming from your parents, yourself, and also your son being a survivor, you're in totally different areas, positions in the world. Now, what does this word really mean if your parents who are in Sweden moved to the States and you still call yourself a survivor and your son a survivor? What, what's yeah. the term? I, I think when it, when it comes to what what why one still can identify them as survivors, uh, is part of it is in order to uh, tell their story to other people, because I think it, it's very important uh, at a time, certainly in the United States, uh, where there's all this political division and arguments and people hating each other in some ways, and, and racism and anti-Semitism and all kinds of things, uh, occurring at, at greater frequency around the world, genocides even, mm -hmm. uh, that, that I have, my parents, in a sense, be, were witness to what can happen uh, and what hate can do. And so it's important for me even to talk about that and to think about that and to pass on at least their story so that people can learn what it means to have to survive mm -hmm. and why you have to not have a normal life and not be able to have a family or have a family who one day uh, gets murdered. 
uh, and that's what happened to them. And so it, it's, it's, uh, it's a sim, it's symbolic in a certain way. Uh, and, and because of how they suffered, in a sense, my sister and I had to learn to survive as well, because we had to survive parents who couldn't really take care of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had to survive the nightmares that, that they endured because we had to wake them up in the middle of the night from their nightmares many, many times when we were just tiny people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so survival became something and, and, and we took on the traits of survival. I, I, uh, I once uh, talked to a psychiatrist who, uh, who I was working. I, uh, I spent most of my life writing, mm-hmm. uh, sometimes uh, freelance writing. I have a master's in journalism uh, and writing stories about other people. I wrote uh, I worked for a large corporation, uh, being sort of their chief writer. Uh, and I worked for public television in the United States for Bill Moyers. I don't know if your if your uh, viewers are, are familiar, but Bill Moyers uh, was a, a, a journalist, uh, and I worked for him as well. And and uh, so during the course of my work. Uh, we were asked to go and talk to a psychiatrist about our work problems. You know, how can we become better at what we do and how can we overcome issues that we might face? Mm-hmm. And so I brought a ta- problem, which was basically my boss, who was a crazy person. And, uh, and I, I talked about how I tried to deal with him. And as the, uh, the psychiatrist said to me, he said, uh, uh, tell me more about your past. So I told them a little bit about my parents and, and how they were survivors and how difficult it was to grow up with them. And he said, you know, I, I think you're starting to be, you, you see yourself too much as a survivor and you should not be working where you're working. You, you, you can't stop your boss from being a crazy person. Uh, what you have to do is go somewhere else. You have to escape. Uh, and he said, they couldn't escape from their concentration camps, but mm-hmm. you can escape from the terror that you're feeling in one way or another. So that, 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 that issue about survival and accommodating yourself to crazy or difficult circumstances has always been something that I've had to recognize better and if necessary, overcome one way or another. Mm, that's very well put, and we now get the perspective where that terminology is coming from. Now, you talk about there being several secrets that were kept by your parents, and as you are writing your book, are, that, are there some of the secrets that you refer to, and if so, how did you uncover those secrets that were there? Yeah, uh, uh, my, my parents, uh, my father spoke to me about his past once for 20 minutes in my whole life. Uh, I was 20 years old and uh, I was, uh, it was during the Vietnam War and I was in college and I was safe in college, but then they ran out of soldiers in the United States to mm-hmm. fight in the war. And even students who were in college became liable to go to Vietnam. And you could get out of it if you could convince the draft board uh, 
that you were that your that somebody was emotionally dependent upon you mm. and that if something happened to you it would destroy their lives mm. and so i figured well holocaust survivors were emotionally dependent on my sister and on me to say the least mm -hmm. uh, so i went to my father and i said you have to tell me something about your past and so he told me about the last time he saw his wife and his two little girls uh, when they were asked to come to what was called its selection to, uh, to be sent away to concentration camps. And he told me the this, this story about what happened to them. And I believe that it was a very sad story. Uh, and was the last time he saw his wife and children. And, uh, and I kept that with me when when I was doing the research for the book, that story couldn't have happened the way he told me because he was already in a concentration camp the day that they were taken by, by the Nazis and sent to Auschwitz. Mm -hmm. so, so that was a secret that, that and, and so trying to understand why he told me that and why he created that, that story for himself, because I think it was the first time he ever told anyone that story. Mm -hmm. And he told me that story because I think the guilt and the shame of not being able to save his children and his wife, and yet he survived, was too much for him. So he made up another story about how he tried, they tried to escape, they were found, and all this other stuff. And none of that could have been, at least the, the, the bare facts of it, could not have been the case. And my mother did a, a similar thing where she told us a grand story about her life was so much better than it was when we were in the United States, that her first husband had this dance studio and she worked with him in the dance studio and they made lots of money. And then the Germans came, took away the money and put her in a ghetto and then in a concentration camps and put him in a concentration camp, and then it all ended. And now we were poor. We grew up very poor in, in the United States. And she longed for those days back when there was a dance studio that she was working in with her husband. It turned out that that, that was a fantasy, that her husband made luggage uh, during the war, and that she took in laundry to survive, to have enough money for food to eat. And she made up that story and that, was, that story stayed with her and with us uh, for her whole life. And, but, but I discovered that in fact, in, in papers and in archives that I found that in fact, she was a laundress and she, and she washed other people's clothes and that her husband made luggage and worked in a little luggage store uh, and that they made almost no money. And I even found where, where they lived and it was in a tenement. And so, so those were the secrets. And, and they, they created those secrets because I think it was the only way that they could survive their past and, and survive even their present. Wow. Oh, what a story. <laughs> what a story. Now, your father was married before. Your mother also was married before. 
what how do they connect and where where from which side are you coming from you and your yeah. Uh, so they they uh, were the the last concentration camp that they were in was a famous one called Bergen Belsen. It's where Anne Frank died, uh, and they actually my mother was there the same time that Anne Frank was there. Uh, so Bergen Belsen was a horrible horrible place, and my father survived a death march from the camp he was in in Germany to Bergen-Belsen toward the end of the war. And then they were liberated by the British in April of 1945. And the Swedes uh, sent their Red Cross to Bergen-Belsen uh, to uh, a camp that was set up outside of Bergen-Belsen for the survivors. And there were about 60,000 people in, 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 in this camp. And uh, the Swedes took about 6,000 of them to Sweden to recuperate. And so they put them in other camps called alien camps, but nicer ones. Uh, uh, but, and then my mother and father met in one of those alien camps. And I think they very much wanted each of them to start a family, start a, my father had two little girls. My mother had just been married before uh, the war began. Mm -hmm. uh, and so survivors often uh, met each other in these camps and, and married very quickly. And they knew each other for, uh, I found a love letter that my father had written because he was trying to get help to come to the United States. And he wrote to a lawyer who was helping refugees. And the, the letter said that he had met this woman who became my mother three days before and they were fell in love. And they and he wanted to know how he could help them because they were going to live together, whether or not they were ever even allowed to marry, if they could not find, because they they still had some hope that their first family somehow survived. They had no information about it. Uh, my father was told by somebody that he saw his wife and children taken into the gas chambers, actually, in Auschwitz. But my mother and my mother last heard that my that her husband was in Buchenwald and, and didn't survive, but he didn't, they didn't know for sure. But it was this whole idea that they needed to start again and as quickly as possible. And the, the first person who seemed like a good candidate for either of them was good enough. Uh, and so they married shortly thereafter. Uh, the cover of Painful Joy shows them uh, and it's about the cover picture was taken by, I guess, somebody six months after uh, they met each other and about six months before they married. And uh, there they are. Uh, and very atypical for them because they, 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 I don't think they ever were on a, a motorcycle since that picture was taken. Okay. How did you settle... And this is quite an interesting story, and thank you for sharing it with us. How did you settle on the title, Painful Joy? Yeah, Painful Joy, because uh, I was looking for a title, of course, uh, and I, I was doing some research, and there I came across a poem, and it was a poem that was written in the Middle Ages uh, by a Jewish uh, poet, and it was translated and, and was in a prayer book. Uh, that was published in the 1950s in the U.S. And it was called Painful Joy. 
And the, the poem was basically about what happens to love when it's touched by death. And I, I thought of, you know, in a certain way, there was, was a very unusual love story, to say the least, but it certainly had been touched by death. And it changed the, even the love that they had for each other into, I don't know, a different kind of love. And so I, I wanted to, to show that in some way. And, and the book starts with my father talking about finding this woman in Sweden who he and how they fell in love. And, and the interesting thing about both of them is that we, my sister and I, rarely saw love. We, we felt love from them to us, mm-hmm. but we rarely saw love between them. Uh, except, and so the, doing my research, actually, the, the best surprise that I got was finding the love letter that to see that at the beginning there was love. Mm-hmm. And, and indeed, at the end, when both of them were old, my father had Alzheimer's and my mother took care of him by herself, uh, that there was love there again. So at the beginning and at the end, at least. Mm. And I can, and maybe even also my listeners, try to imagine how this happens. It's it's a challenge to be in love with someone who's been through some challenges, and you're, you're in a good position. Now, the kind of challenge that two people are going through who have been, who has seen the worst in their own lives, and then they come together, and they've got to face life together and work it out together. It's not a, such an easy thing, I guess. I believe it's not such right. a thing. Then now you set out on painful joy and uh, the book is written. We used the term survival before. And uh, would you consider it a good terminology or a bad terminology? to call someone a survivor or well, to come, yeah. Yeah. I, a survivor. yeah, I mean, it's an interesting thing because I think I wrote the book in part because I wanted to show my grandson and we also have a little a granddaughter, uh, but I, I wanted to show them and to my, my own children and, and their, their, my sister's children uh, that, uh, sir, that, that their great grandparents, or and my my parents, their grandparents, uh, were more than survivors. That was the idea for the book: was that what could they have been if it weren't for the Holocaust? What could they have become if if it weren't for losing their first families, uh, being put in concentration camps, barely, you know, being able to eat, becoming survivors, because. Mm-hmm. When I lived with them, and until I started writing the book, really, I always saw them in a fairly one-dimensional way, that they were screwed up, their, their lives were never going to be normal, they were never going to be normal, and that's what a survivor is. Uh, and I wanted to say to myself and to our family that, that you can overcome becoming a survivor only. Mm-hmm. And what that psychiatrist told me is that I could overcome a one-dimensional view of oneself. 
and 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 see other possibilities and and uh, and so I try to find out who they could have become who who were they before this terrible thing happened to them hmm. uh, and and that was really the point of the book and then so half of the book half of painful joy talks about them mm-hmm. the other half of the book talks about my sister and me living with them and what was that like and what what good things happened and what silly or even bad things happened just to to give a much more multi-dimensional view of surviving and uh, and the possibilities that people can can do and and different kinds of survivors different ways of surviving as well i mean mm. i'm sure they they had different ways of surviving even in the camps uh but even afterwards uh so so that that survival is 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 a fraught term i mean it, it has a lot of meaning and a lot of different meaning to a lot of people mm. uh you know at the simplest for me i like to still say i'm a second generation survivor because uh, I think it's important to tell their story. Uh, on the other hand, I don't want to just be a survivor. Hmm. We get it. And it's important to tell your story. Thank you once again for sharing your story with us. And sure. I believe people are going to get the book. It's available on Amazon. You can go and search Painful Joy by Max J. Friedman. We are almost coming to the end of the show, but Maybe let me ask you this: How easy or how difficult was it putting this book together for you? Yeah, it 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 was very difficult because the the records, so many of them had been destroyed during the war, uh, so that was difficult. And it was difficult to find out things. I mean, when when uh, when you go again, uh, it, 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 these are painful memories that are dredged up, and that that you didn't know about but but you have to you have a feeling you know uh going to auschwitz the concentration camp and being told that where you walk on the ground in auschwitz is actually you're walking on the ashes of well over a million bodies that were burned in auschwitz after they were killed and then understanding that my mother my father's wife first wife and his two little girls were i was walking on them in a certain way mm-hmm. and uh and it's it it's a difficult thing to accept and to feel uh so so there were those kinds of things but then there there were wonderful experiences where i got to meet my my grandfather my father's father mm-hmm. i met him only because i found a picture of him in an archive and and then the next day we were in a museum and and there was an exhibit and on the wall of the exhibit who was there but my grandfather mm. a picture of him walking around in in the Krakow ghetto but again suddenly he he became alive i was named for him and uh suddenly there he was and uh he was no longer just a name and a date uh he was a person so there were there were wonderful moments and there were very difficult moments uh and it took a long time just to find both hmm wow that's interesting is quite an interesting story and i i believe once we go and get the book we are going to enjoy it much more 
as we go through the stories, your parents' stories, your story together with your sister. Now, the question was, what don't you know about your own past? And this goes to the viewers and the listeners. What don't you know about your own past? Have you tried to find out some secrets? And could you write a book about it? I don't know. If someone is thinking about that, what would you advise someone to go about it, like looking for his past, writing a book? How, what, what advice would you give someone like that? I think you have to steel yourself and uh, and understand that there'll be good things that you learn and there'll be some very difficult things that you learn. Uh, but I would certainly suggest that if someone can, you know, you don't have to write a book, but to to find, uh, you know, any first thing is to talk to parents, talk to relatives and I mean, I didn't, I didn't ask any questions of my parents ever. So they passed away and then I was reconstructing their lives on my own. Uh, so if you have an opportunity to actually ask a question of somebody uh, who hasn't told you very much, uh, be sensitive because there probably is a reason why they haven't told you very much. Mm -hmm. But even after that, just... Uh, plead with them, say, I, I need to know, you know, getting even 20 minutes with my father was, was a beginning. Mm. Uh, and, and it was up to me to fill in the spaces. And, uh, and I think people who like genealogy do this kind of stuff. I never was excited about the idea of finding out, you know, the 18 million uh, relatives I never knew or anything like that. But, but, if you have a reason, I think uh, it'll spur you on and it'll make you try to f be more and more creative in how you discover your past. And and by knowing your past, you understand something about yourself. Mm. Thank you for that. We really appreciate you for that. No, anytime. <laughs> yeah, so as we come to the end of this show, before we go, we'd like, Maybe there's someone out there who's interested in following up with you, uh, learning more, uh, knowing what other things you've written. I mean, I don't know. People have different questions. And when you have an opportunity to ask them, then you use that opportunity. How can they follow you? How can they? Yeah. So the easiest thing you could do is I was very proud of myself at my advanced age to build my own website. So there's a website, uh, www w.maxfriedman, one, one word, dot net, mm -hmm. on, the, on the screen there. And, and that website is a lot about the book, but it's also a lot about me. And it's a lot about uh, the times that uh, all this takes place. And there are excerpts from the book. And there's an opportunity for you on many of the pages, not only to know where to get the book, but uh, to actually send me notes. Uh, you and uh, questions, whatever you like, comments, uh, and if you just fill in the the uh, thing and hit fill in the form and hit send, I will answer you very quickly, and and ho hopefully help you in one way or another, or explain something from the book or just from that period of time that I've learned that might be of interest. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you've got it, you've had it. Now you can follow up with Max Friedman to learn more. But 
before we go, I'll ask him one thing. Now you've been there, you've experienced it, you've done a lot of, a lot of things. Leave us a few words of wisdom on general life, a few words, and then we'll be gone. Uh, I think my, my, my biggest wisdom was something I, I got in, uh, from uh, studying Buddhism. And, uh, and that is what's called patient acceptance. And patient acceptance essentially means that if you can't do something about it, you have to learn to accept it and say, this is how it is. And then use your vision of reality to make that acceptable. So we, we create our own realities. There, the, the reality is, is very subjective. Mm -hmm. and, and so you can create a reality that is wonderful or a reality that is horrible. It's how you view it. And uh, some things you can control and some things you can't control. And again, it's how you view that. And if you can do that, not only will you be uh, a saint, but uh, even less than a saint, you'll be a person that, that, that appreciates life a little bit more. Yeah, thank you very much. We can only change what it's possible for us and what's not possible. You've just got to accept it. That's right. I think so. Thank you very much for those words. And uh, we really appreciate you and the time that you've spent with us. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you. It's a delight to talk about all this. Yeah. Wow. So this has been Now Tell Us. I have been your host, Anthony Moirore. Together with our guest, Max Friedman, we're saying go and find out a little bit about your past. Appreciate that, which is good. You can't change the past, so you've got to accept what is, what is in good in it and keep living life positively. Bye for now. Goodbye. Bye.